0: A few of you. We worship in all different ways. Amen. God's just okay with worship. Whether you're out there stomping or doing a jig or whether you're just doing your little finger. That's okay with God. God just wants us to praise Him. Amen. And as I said last week, He inhabits our praises. I believe we invite Him in. Some of you may look at this as just a song service. I don't look at this as a song service ever. When we get together, listen to those words. Listen to those words. God is being glorified. God is being magnified. And whenever God is magnified, then he steps in and can do what he desires to do. And above everybody else in this room, I need for him to do what he wants to do through me today. Because if I just try to do this on my own strength, I'm a failure. I can never do what I do on my own. Oh, I've tried it. And I fell flat on my face. But my prayer before I even get here Sunday mornings, God, you have your way. God, you know what everyone in this house needs. I may preach one message this morning, but I believe it goes out 300 different ways because the Holy Spirit is igniting it. The Holy Spirit is burning within it to meet your needs wherever you're at because every one of us, if you've got blood pumping through your veins today, we have a need. Amen. With all that said, Lord, we need you. Amen. Well, it's good to see your smiling faces here today. If you're a first-time visitor, we want to welcome you here. We've been in a sermon series for the past several weeks called Asking for a Friend. Asking for a Friend, where we've been talking about different questions that people have, Christians and non-Christians alike. So today we're going to wrap up this sermon series that we've been on for a while. We're going to wrap it up, and we're going to go through some random questions today as we wrap it up. But as I said last week, you know when it comes to God and us having questions about God or even doubts, God's okay with that. God's okay with questions. I believe bigger than that, God is okay with questions because he actually uses those questions. I believe he welcomes those questions to actually pull us closer to him. Closer to seeking his word and the truth of his word. So God can use those questions for great things, even if we live in a generation that's offended, that is offended about everything just about. Amen? I mean, it's the generation we live in, but God has questions. God has answers to the questions that we have need of this morning. So I believe he's got some great things to answer in your life today. Uh, you don't have to agree with me on everything I'm going to say today, but you have the absolute right to be wrong. Amen? I'll just say that. But for some of these questions, I could spend a whole sermon series or make a whole sermon series out of each one. But for the sake of time, I'm not going to do that. But over the 21 years of ministry, I've had several questions asked of me. We're going to just touch on some of these questions as we wrap this series up. Uh, I'm not going to spend up a lot of time because I want to get through as many as we possibly can. So I want to start by just plowing through the first question. Um, The first question, this is one that I've heard from many people over the years. Is what is the unpardonable sin? Anybody ever heard of the unpardonable sin? What is the unpardonable sin, and how do I know if I have committed it? It's a good question. This is often referred to the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Uh, If you're from a church background, you've probably heard of this. What this actually means, if you break it down, is can a person sin so badly that God would never forgive them? Can a man be such a murderer, liar, cheat, steal, uh, thief, Uh, whatever, that he's beyond the grace of God. Well, there are many people who seem almost tormented about that question and wondering deep down, have I committed this sin? It actually comes from Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 and 32. Let me read that for you. Jesus says, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Hearing that, I would say this sin is a biggie. This sin is a pretty serious sin. And if you know, at the time, Jesus was doing these amazing miracles. He was even casting out demons by the power of the Holy Spirit. But instead of recognizing the source of Jesus' power and accepting Him as God's Son, these religious leaders, scribes and Pharisees, We're accusing him of being possessed by the devil and actually casting out the devil by the power of the devil. Doesn't make any sense, but that's what they were accusing him of. So Jesus responds with that verse I just read. He says, I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. Long story short, these scribes and Pharisees were rejecting the grace of God that had come through Jesus Christ. They were rejecting and attributing Jesus' works and power to the power of the devil. They weren't just doubting or even denying truth. They were maliciously contradicting Jesus uh, with something that they had witnessed with their very own eyes, and for their own selfish purposes, they were pretending not to understand something that they really deep down did understand. So when I talk about this sin of the religious leaders, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, it was them refusing the witness of the Holy Spirit to who Jesus was, what he came to do, and then submitting their lives over to him. So when it comes to these, quote, religious guys, these religious leaders had no desire at all to be reconciled to Jesus. With all that said, all that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a hardening of the heart toward the promptings of the Holy Spirit. An absolute hardening of the heart toward the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize there can come a point, hopefully not in your life, but there can come a point in our life where the Holy Spirit no longer convicts us of a sin. And we know that the reason for the conviction of the Holy Spirit sent by God is so that we'll repent. And the Bible says that if we sin and we repent, we ask forgiveness, God is faithful to forgive us. But the people that we're talking about that have committed this unpardonable sin, they're not concerned about it at all. They're not concerned about forgiveness. They're not in the least bit repentant. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're wondering about this sin, if you've committed it or not, um, let me just say this. If you're feeling guilty this morning, if you're feeling remorse this morning, Uh, If you're feeling regret this morning, if you're taking it to Jesus and asking Him for forgiveness, let me just put your mind at ease. You haven't. Uh, Here's what John Piper says about this unforgivable sin. The unforgivable sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is an act of resistance which belittles the Holy Spirit so grievously that He withdraws forever with His convicting power so that we're never able to repent and be forgiven. When I hear that, that'd be a scary place to be in. Amen? That'd be a bad condition to be in. So if you're afraid that you might have offended God this morning without even realizing it, I'd say the fact that you're worried about it or concerned about it tells me, don't worry about it anymore. Don't be so concerned about it because you haven't. Uh, You know, when you've committed this sin, it's not that God's grace has run out. It'll never run out, but it's your desire for God's grace that has run out. So this morning, if you're worried or concerned or ever have been that you've committed this unpardonable sin against the Holy Spirit, you can rest easy because if you had, you wouldn't be worried about it at all. But since you are worried about it, concerned about it, you don't need to worry about it any longer. So I hope that puts somebody's mind and heart at ease this morning. That's my first question. If you're taking notes, the second question is, should we celebrate or participate in pagan holidays? I get asked this question a lot around Halloween time. I've even had some people come up to me and say, Pastor, how can you as a pastor celebrate Halloween? I just want to tell them, hey, really, when I look at it, I'm not really celebrating Halloween. And I think the larger question actually is, as Christ followers, how are we supposed to interact with the world around us? Listen to what uh, it says in John chapter 15. It says that we should be in the world but not of it. Anybody ever heard that one? We should be in the world, and we are in the world, but we're not of the world. But that tells me we don't retreat from the world. We're not supposed to run away and hide in our holy huddles. We're not supposed to run away and hide in our storm shelters. You and I are created to be in this world and uh, in this world and among this world, just like Jesus came to be in and among us. That ought to be a comforting, guiding thought. Amen. Matthew chapter 5 says that we should be salt and light. How many know that salt doesn't do much good if it stays in the salt shaker? Light doesn't do much good if it's kept hidden uh, behind the door. Jude chapter 1 says this, that we should snatch others from the fire. That you and I as believers should snatch others from the fire. I love that passage because to me that's describing a person who's on a mission with Jesus to make hell a lot less crowded. Amen? People on a mission to depopulate hell, and the truth is you can't snatch others from the fire when you're separating yourself from the world and keeping your distance. In fact, I thought about this. Maybe on my tombstone one day, I'm going to put down, here lies Dwayne Piercy. He smelled like smoke. Not the cigarette kind, but the fire kind, because he was so close to the flames, right there with Jesus, rescuing people, trying to depopulate hell. I think that'd be a good thing for all all of us to be able to put on our tombstones. Amen? Amen? (laughs) With all that said, there is a difference between celebrating something and participating in it. You know, you can participate in something without glorifying anything that's demonic. And I would say there are three words at this time we need to remember concerning this whole topic is reject, redeem, and restore. Yes, we do need to reject some things in our culture. They need to be rejected. But when we reject them, we don't just drop them, we need to redeem them. And we need to restore them to God's original purposes, amen? The world has perverted what God created, and it's our job as Christ followers to restore them back to what God intended. The bottom line, it's a matter of conscience. And some of you would say, well, participating in Halloween violates my conscience. And I would say to that, then don't participate in it at all. You have your reasons, I'm sure, your stories behind it. But let me just say this, it's also not a legalistic thing where you need to put others down who do participate in it. You know, here's where I stand on it, and I I kind of uh, found this within my heart by just asking a simple question. I asked myself years ago, where would Jesus be on Halloween night? I can't imagine him being hiding in his house, in the dark, watching Veggie Tales, uh, (laughs) or playing Bible Pictionary, I don't picture Jesus doing that. I picture him as being out in the world, letting his light shine. Some people that are against Halloween would say, well, I think it's just an opportunity to let kids go out and destroy things, vandalize houses and businesses, and experiment with Ouija boards and the occult. I'm not condoning any of that. But I will say those sort of things don't make Halloween in itself evil. It just reveals, I think, the evil that lurks within human hearts. I believe it does show that there is an evil in this world. But I even remember seeing people in the streets of Chicago rioting because the Bulls won a basketball game. Amen? I see them rioting in the streets when they lost a basketball game. What I'm saying is people will use any excuse they can to practice evil, but you and I, as followers of Christ, do you know our job is to overwhelm evil with good? overwhelm evil with good. So I think we ought to take that tradition of ghosts and goblins and pour out the love and mercy of God on that situation. Amen? So listen to this. The trick is to treat Halloween like a divine opportunity. A divine opportunity instead of a demonic holiday. I don't know about you. I'm just speaking from my experience growing up as a kid. I loved Halloween. I had a ball. I mean, I enjoyed going out, getting candy, free candy, I enjoyed going out with my friends. I enjoyed dressing up, and never once did I equate it with evil. Never once. And my mom would always make us homemade costumes, and I'll never forget the year she made a pumpkin costume for me. Yeah, this round papier-mâché cardboard pumpkin. Uh, She made me wear a green stocking cap for the stem. Uh, My arms, I think I had orange leotards on. I mean, it was ridiculous, I'm sure, but I didn't know it. I was having a ball. It made it kind of hard to see your Halloween candy when it was way out there and you couldn't get to it. But the worst part was when we were walking through the yard up to somebody's house, I stepped in a hole and I fell down. I didn't realize until then I couldn't get back up. And my friends realized real quick that they could roll me around the yard like a ball and have a blast. And they did. You know, when it comes to Halloween, we do a thing around here, and we have for several years, called Trunk or Treat. Uh, Most of us have heard of that. We decorate the trunks of our cars and our trucks. Uh, We give away free candy, free hot dogs, free drinks. We have a ball. We make it a family event, and we are looking forward to having a bunch of fun this year. So uh, it's okay to participate in those things with the right hearts, what I think. Third question, is it okay to drink alcohol and do legal drugs? Well, are we in Colorado? I'll just ask you that. (laughs) Actually, Illinois is not getting too far away from what Colorado is like in a lot of ways. But here's the deal I believe this question can fit into a lot of areas in our lives as Christ followers. We can apply this to a lot of different things, but I think the question should be when it comes to these things drugs or alcohol uh, are we allowed to? Maybe the bigger question should be is it okay to? You know, I think whenever we ask those kind of questions, what we're really saying, and we don't want to admit it, is where's the line? So I can go right up to the edge of it where I can tiptoe almost to the edge of it and not commit it. I mean, we laugh, but it's the honest truth. Where's the line? That's not always the wisest decision. And for some of those, you may have grown up in a very legalistic background where all you heard preached on was moralism and all that stuff. Let me just say, you might be surprised to realize you have more freedoms in Christ than you even realize In Galatians chapter 5, Romans chapter 8, Paul talks a lot about this. However, he also warns us, gives us a stern warning to not use our freedoms that we have as an opportunity for our flesh or as an opportunity for sin, but through love, to use them to serve one another. So the short answer is the Bible never really prohibits alcohol, but it does ask us to be very thoughtful. I'll say use wisdom. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, Paul says this, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that? He said, don't get drunk. Because when you get drunk, bad things happen. Amen? You can lose your mind, you can lose your senses, you can lose your license, amen? You can lose your memory, you can break the law, you can hurt people or you can hurt yourself. And you definitely can't make good and wise decisions when your mind is in that sort of condition. So instead of asking, uh, is it okay? I think the better question would be, is it wise? Maybe even though you have the right to, is it wise? Maybe for all kinds of reasons you need to ask that question. Maybe one of the questions is, you have this genetic disposition toward addiction, so you ought to stay away from it. Maybe because if you're really honest, you're using it to self-medicate yourself against your worries, your fears, your anxieties. Or maybe you've just doubt and out become too dependent upon whatever it might be. Maybe you just need to put on the brakes for a minute and say, you know what, I'm not going to let any substance control me I'm going to stand up against it, and I'm going to refrain from it. Even though I have the uh, freedom in some areas, I'm not going to do it. First uh, Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13, Paul talks uh, about this. He talks about being mindful of others, actually. And he's not talking about alcohol in this situation. He's actually talking about eating meat. And he's saying, if I go out and I eat meat, which was against some of their customs, and I cause a brother or sister in Christ to stumble because I'm out there eating meat, he takes it so serious, he says, I'm never going to eat meat again in my life. Even though he had the freedom to. Because he said he didn't want to cause anyone to stumble over what he has done. I think we should take that premise, that principle, and apply it to drugs and alcohol in our lives. And whenever it comes to that, seek God on that. Use extreme wisdom on that. So that's what I have to say on that. Amen? Question number four. What makes premarital sex and porn so bad? What makes premarital sex and pornography so bad? We've got some pictures we want to put up on the... I'm just kidding. That <laughs> Some of you started to squirm right then. I saw it. But we get asked this question over and over, and it's usually by the younger generation. Um... But I think it's so important for us as Christ followers to have a good answer to give them because largely in our culture, for the most part, they've moved on. They have actually moved on. What I mean by that is for us to suggest that we should save sex for marriage, the culture largely hears that as old-fashioned, outdated, unrealistic, out of touch. They just see it as another biological desire. And since it's a natural biological desire, they think they have every right to go out and fulfill it. So when I think about it, they're looking at it kind of like it's not any different than being hungry. If I'm hungry, I'm going to go eat. If I'm sleepy, I'm going to go take a nap. If I have sexual desires, I'm going to go out and fulfill it with whomever, whenever, and however I want to. Therefore, whenever we say save sex until marriage, and anything outside of that is sin, and if we don't save sex until marriage, you're missing God's best for your life, The culture that we live in today hears that and says, you're ridiculous, you're outdated, you're out of touch, not even realistic. Well, let me just take it to the one that answers all questions to God and answer this why question about this kind of difficult topic. The reason why we should listen to God on this is because, do you realize he's the one that thought it up in the first place? Do you realize he's the one that created and designed sex in the first place? I don't think he gets near enough credit for it either, amen? And so many times I think God looks down from heaven and said, Hey, wait a minute, uh, you, do you know I created that? I designed that, and you have twisted it, you've perverted it, you've turned it into something dirty and something wrong that I never intended. My point is, God designed it, and if God designed it and fashioned it, then He knows how it works best. And He also now knows how it can hurt us the worst. He knows both ends of the spectrum. It's like for me in the pickup truck I drive. I didn't make that pickup. I didn't design it, but I have an owner's manual in the glove box that if I want to find out how that truck will run best and perform best, I've got to open that glove box, pull out the uh, manual, and read about it. Do you realize this is God's manual for life right here? If you want to find out how sex works best, right there is the manual. If you read the Song of Solomon sometimes, it will make you blush. Amen? I'm just saying. God has it all right there spelled out for us. No, I'm not going to leave pornography out. Some of you thought I'd move on past it. No, pornography is self-centered, self-serving, and very addictive. And it sets up unrealistic and even hurtful expectations toward a spouse or a future spouse. And some of the young people might say, well, hey, wait a minute. I'm single. I'm free. Uh, I don't have to worry about that. I can do this. It won't hurt anything. It doesn't matter. I would say, well, you may not be married right now, but someday you're going to be or uh, maybe you hope to be. And the best time to start working on your marriage isn't after you're married. Amen? A lot of us probably have tried that and failed. The best time to work on your marriage is before you're married because healthy healthy people have healthy marriages. So what I'm saying is the time to get healthy spiritually uh, is right now. Well, you don't have that other person in your life yet. Get prepared for it. Amen? Anyway, moving on. Question number five. What's the point and purpose of prayer? Some of you are saying, wow, I'm glad he finally got off of sex. That was getting terrible. You ought to be up here talking about it. Amen? Question number five. What's the point and purpose of prayer? A lot of us think, well, if God already knows everything that's going to happen anyway, then why do we even need to pray? He's, pray, he's already got it figured out. Let me just say this, Jesus prayed, and he was fully God. He was perfect and sinless in every way. He knew the mind and heart of God, and yet Jesus prayed all the time. Jesus even got away to pray, away from everyone else. So if Jesus prayed, I'm just saying, I think that tells me that we should pray too. And the next thing when it comes to prayer, prayer is more than just getting something we want from God. Have you figured that out yet? Because if you haven't figured it out, and you're just expecting God to give you everything you're, want, you're wanting, you won't get that. God won't give you that, and you're going to be disappointed. The point of prayer isn't to change God and to make Him aware of things. It's to change us and to make us aware of things. So if you're praying and praying and praying, and you're not getting any answers, and God seems silent, I think we ought to step back and then ta- stop talking so much. Stop praying and start listening. That was one of my points from last week. Question number six, are we obligated to tithe in offerings? Obligated, no. Invited to be generous, absolutely. You know, I always get a little bit frustrated when I hear Christians arguing about the tithe, like uh, what are we get to give, how much are we supposed to give, and all that stuff. Because I'm thinking, wait a minute, look at what God gave. Look at what God gave. God did not uh, tie the percentage of Jesus. He didn't say, I'll give you 10% of Jesus, He didn't do that. He gave 100% of his first and 100% of his best. And people will often use the excuse that don't want to tithe is that it's just Old Testament, doesn't even pertain to New Testament. I would argue with that scripturally because in Matthew 23, 23, that is New Testament. Jesus talks about it. He starts out by saying, you should have practiced the latter before neglecting the former. What he's meaning, he's having a conversation with the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and condemning them for tithing down to the penny. They were tithing right down to the penny, but they were neglecting the more important things, according to Jesus, of justice, mercy, and faith. He then goes on to tell them, you should definitely tithe, but never forget the more important things. And I think it all boils down to it, the reason that God constituted the giving of monies a long time ago is because God knew that money was always going to be our number one competitor between us and God for our hearts There's a scripture that says, Wherever your treasure goes, your heart's going to follow. God says, I just want you to trust me in this. Uh, It might be hard. It might not make sense at times, but I'm going to throw out a number, God says. I'll just say 10%. God says, Start there. He says, And see what I might do with that 10%. And let me just say this these aren't just words for me, I've been a tither for years. And I know that God has provided when I have stepped in obedience. God has, like his word says, opened the windows of heaven and poured out a blessing on my life that I couldn't even contain. That's a, pro- that's a promise. And God even says, test me in the tithe and see, with that, see that I won't do that because he will do that. He will pour out his blessings. I don't hardly ever preach on money or giving. And uh, God is faithful. But it's something to consider in your whole walk of faith. Anyway, going on to question number seven. That was almost as awkward as sex. Amen? <laughs> do I go deeper in my relationship? How can I go deeper in my relationship with God? Maybe you've thought, well, I've been waiting out in this shallow pool, spiritual pool in the kitty end, and I'm ready to go in deeper with God. I'm ready to go to the deep end. How do I go deep? Well, whenever Jesus talked about going deeper, he didn't even use the word going deeper. He used another word, I think a more fitting word, producing fruit producing fruit. I'm not talking about apples and oranges. I'm talking about the fruit of the Spirit. If you know anything about the Bible, Galatians 5 gives us nine fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And it says these things are all of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus says, yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. And catch this. Those who remain in me or those who stay connected to me will produce much fruit, For apart from me, you can do nothing. So I think the better question, instead of asking how can I go deeper, should be how can I produce more fruit by staying more connected to Jesus? Uh, This is why it's so critical. A lot of us grew up in church, been in church our whole life from the time we were infants. There's pros and cons to that, positives and negatives. And one of the negatives is that we kind of just end up going through the motions sometimes, being lukewarm in our faith. Do you realize you can have a whole lot of head knowledge of God? But sometimes that hidden knowledge can actually outpace your love for God. It can actually outpace your love for God and your love for people that are far from God. That's called self-righteousness. Jesus didn't like self-righteousness. He hated self-righteousness, and he dealt with self-righteous the most self-righteousness the most with the spiritual people, the religious leaders. In fact, he's having a conversation in John chapter five, verse thirty-nine he says to a group of religious leaders, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. In other words, he's looking at these religious guys, and he's saying, you guys know the scriptures very well, but you've missed me completely. You've missed my heart. If you remember the stories in the uh, Gospels, There was this one Pharisee that came to Jesus, actually trying to trip him up. And remember when he asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment of all? And if you know anything about that day, these religious guys were trying to follow 613 different commandments. They asked him to boil it down to one. Well, Jesus boils it down to two. And he says in Matthew chapter 22, he says, You must first love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. So he puts it on the same playing field as that first one. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophet are based on these two commandments. In other words, Jesus is saying the entire law is summed up with two commands, two commandments. The entire law hangs on these two simple commands, love God and love others. So if you want to grow deeper in your relationship with God, guess what? You need to get on mission with God. And his mission above everything else is to reach out to those that are far from God. Oh, Bible studies are great. Reading your word is great. Praying is great. Going on mission trips are great. They're fantastic. But do you realize we can do all of those things and still be going through the motions? We can do all of those things and still, if we're not careful, they won't translate into a genuine love for God or a love for other people. You know, you and I can know everything there is to know about the Bible, and Jesus would still say many of us are so shallow. I say that to say that our personal growth, spiritual growth, should always be for the sake of others. That's how God designed it and for the cause of Christ. Last question. Last question, number eight. Why do some people raise their hands at church during a song service and some people don't? If you come into a a church service from a background where you've never seen that before, you're probably thinking, what in the world are these people doing? Well, somebody please answer their questions? Everybody has a question, you know? I mean, they don't know what's going on. Well, the Bible tells us what's going on. The Psalms are full of scriptures that talk about lifting up holy hands to a holy God. I'm going to give you two of them this morning, starting with Psalm 63, verse 4. I will praise you as long as I live. Uh, The psalmist is speaking to God, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Psalms 134, verse 2, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Some people say this is a way of connecting with God, reaching out to God. Some people say this is uh, a full surrender to God. I'd say it's all of those things. But above it all, it shows a posture of worship, lifting holy hands to a holy God. So it's biblical. I'm just saying that. These are just a few questions, and some of you are probably thinking, wow, Pastor, you went through eight quick questions. I've got more questions now than I had before you started. Well, that's the reason I did this sermon series. Because I'm not going to, you can't get what you need out of a, just a Sunday morning service. You've got to search for the answers that you need in your life in this book. From Genesis to Revelation, this book is full of holy answers for our life. The source of every answer we really need is in that book. And I think the reason people uh, don't know what to believe today is because they're trusting in their culture. They're trusting in their feelings above everything else. You know, that's a dangerous place to be because you're going to end up doing, I guarantee you, because our nature is at odds against the Spirit. We're going to end up going and doing things contrary to God's Word. And that's because we simply don't know God's Word. I pray today that your heart will fall in love with Jesus like it's never fell in love with Him before. I think it's about time in all the competition that we have in this world today that somehow the Spirit of God through the life that we live in front of people would reach out and touch hearts in a way that say, wow, my life is falling apart. I really need what they've got. You know, if you're not showing that passion for Jesus in your life every day, and none of us do every day, but I pray that today you'll pray for more of a passion to be more of a servant more of a passion to be more in love with Jesus than ever before, so that when people look at you, they'll know without even you having to say a word, they've got something I need. You've got something they need. I've got something they need. But if we keep it hidden behind a door, if we keep it hidden under a bushel, as the word says, they're never going to realize it. Could you stand to your feet this morning? I just think God wants us to make him number one priority in our life. Because after all I've said today, it doesn't even matter what you and I believe personally. It matters what we do with God. Amen? What are you going to do with God this morning? As you bow your heads, close your eyes, I just want you to take a moment to just focus on Jesus in your heart. And if you're ready, make this prayer that I'm going to pray your own prayer today. You don't have to pray it out loud. Just listen to me and agree with, with, agree with it with your heart. Lord God, I come to You and I don't have it all figured out. I've tried to figure it out and I've tried to do life on my own terms and God, all that brought me was more disappointment and frustration. But today, Lord God, I'm coming to You and I'm ready to surrender. I've still got a whole lot more questions, God, but instead of trying to take these questions on myself and answer them without You, I'm coming to You. I'm pursuing You for the answers with You. So today... Lord God, I come to you as a sinner. I recognize it. I confess it. And I say that I'm sorry. I repent of it. Forgive me of my sins. And I want Jesus, you to be Lord of my life and Savior of my life. I believe that you went to the cross and died on the cross for me, for my salvation. And if I can trust you as my Savior, Father, from this day forward, I'm going to trust you as Lord over all, over my money, over my thoughts, over my marriage, over my kids, over my relationships, over my desires. God, I just surrender them all over to you today. Father, I want to be a new creation in Christ today and for the rest of my life. If you agree with that prayer, would you just say amen with me? Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful Fourth of July. Go out and change the world for His grace. God bless you.